Let me invite you to 1 Peter chapter 4 this evening. 1 Peter chapter 4. I mentioned this morning that we're going to uh, focus in as well uh, tonight on the issue of stewardship. This morning was really basically trying to understand stewardship and tied to those four concepts of authority, assets, accountability, and then our ambition to be faithful to God. Another way in which we might think about it in terms of the things that are involved in it when we're serving God uh, that, that we need to do the right thing, we need to do it the right way, and we need to do it for the right reason, right? So it's a combination of all of those things. Uh, if any of those are missing, then to some degree our service for Christ will be defective. If we don't do the thing that he's commanded us to do, I don't believe that the Lord will be pleased with that. Right? We actually have commandments that he's given to us, and we're to carry those out. So it's the right thing. But we don't get to decide uh, how to do it in the core issues. We need to do it the way God said to do it. Right? So uh, just take worship, for instance. Right? We, um, I doubt that you'd bump into any professing Christian who would say, Christians should not worship, all right? So they'd say, we all should worship. But you'd have to actually define what that is in order to start to move in the right direction. Then you'd need to look at what the scriptures say about how we are supposed to worship. Because not all worship is acceptable to God. Right? There, are, there are many ways uh, demonstrated to us in the scriptures uh, about worship that is actually not pleasing to God because it's not the worship that he prescribed. Right At, the, at Mount Sinai, when Aaron made the golden calf, he said, tomorrow is a feast day to Yahweh. He didn't say, hey, let's worship the gods of Egypt. So let's worship the true God, but we're going to worship him as if he's a golden calf. And God wasn't thrilled with that. When Nadab and Abihu went into the tabernacle that God had provided to offer fire, which was not the fire prescribed by the Lord, God did not accept it, right? They were going to do the right thing, but they were doing it the wrong way, right? And God has the authority to tell us not only what we're to do, but how we're supposed to do it. I mean, I, I think we have to concede that. And, and no amount of appealing to to internal motives actually could excuse away the wrong thing or the wrong way. Because right? Jesus said, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. Right? So if you really love me, you'll do what I said to do. You won't actually do what you want to do and make me accept it. 
you'll actually do what I've asked you to do. And you'll do it the way I've asked you to do it. But it is possible also, and, and I know I'm probably slicing it a little fine when I say it this way, but it is possible to be doing the right thing and externally the right way, but also not have the right reason. Right? Jesus quoted Isaiah and said, This people draws near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Right? They didn't actually have the right heart motive. They had begun to play an external game of obedience. We'll, we'll do what God told us to do and we'll follow his instructions, but they didn't have a heart to do it. They actually weren't motivated by love for God. They weren't motivated by his glory. Right? So it's all three of those are supposed to be joined together. And the grace of God is, I think, can, uh, continually helping purify us so that we're having more clarity about the right things and more clarity about the right way and more clarity about our motives and the reasons why we're doing it. So right thing, right way, right reason. And I think that we have to, we ha- in terms of what we talked about this morning with stewardship, and I'm working our way into this text that we're going to look at, is that, that we need to understand that our stewardship of, of all that God's entrusted to us, right? We're, we're bought with a price. Our life is not our own. So everything about our lives is actually under the authority of Jesus Christ, and we are his servant. So we're a steward of everything that he's entrusted to us. Every gift and ability, resource, responsibility comes from his hand. That we need to be motivated properly in order to do it in a way that pleases God. But I would also suggest to be sustained through every season of life. Because it's possible, uh, back in the summer, I think it was Pastor Tracy preached on Laodicea, right? Right, the letter to the church at Laodicea. There's a whole list of things that they are doing that's right, and, and they're carrying out those things. But then you remember what Jesus said, I have something against you. You've left your first love. Right, there was an internal lukewarmness that was poisoning their service for Christ and Jesus was calling them to repentance. And so you and I need to realize we need to have the right motivation for God to be pleased with it. And also I would suggest to be sustained through every season of life, particularly when it comes to the stewardship of our gifts for serving Christ. Because this is where, and I didn't unpack it a whole lot because I've addressed it before from 1 Corinthians 4, but but a part of what you have to see in Paul there is Paul really dying to what other people thought about him. He says, it's a small thing that I'm judged of you or of any human court. Because Paul doing the right thing, the right way, for the right reason, was actually not acceptable 
to a significant chunk of the Corinthian church. Right? What we'd like to think is if we do the right thing, we do it the right way for the right reason, then everybody will love us. Everybody will pat us on the back. Everyone will encourage us. And there's ample evidence in the Scripture confirmed in our experience that that is actually not always the case. Sometimes people who don't want to do the right thing and don't want to do it the right way or aren't doing it for the right reason actually will be opposed to you doing what you're supposed to do. They will actually be resistant to you doing ministry. And here's the antidote that Paul has. If he was doing what he was doing to be accepted by the Corinthians and the Corinthians weren't accepting him, then one of two things would happen. He would stop doing it because it wasn't acceptable to them, right? He'd go, I tried, and you guys aren't pleased with it, so forget you. And we know he didn't do that because at the end of 2 Corinthians, he says, the more I love you, the less I'm loved. But he says that right after saying, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Right? I'll lay everything I have and everything I am out for you, even if the more I love you, the less you love me. Their lack of appreciation for him didn't ruin his motivation for service because his motivation for service was not rooted in them. Right? That's what I'm saying. If you get in a difficult season of service for Christ and your motives are tied to the people you're serving, then they're going to be drained out. They have to be tied to something deeper. They have to be tied to something more important, and that is God. Because uh, the reality of it is people sometimes are fickle masters. Right? I mean, we even our culture says things like, you can't please everybody. And unfortunately, then they say, so you got to please yourself. right? But the scriptures would say, yeah, you can't please everybody. So make it your ambition to be pleasing to God. Make certain your focus is on God, and doing it for God enables you to be sustained even when the people you're serving don't appreciate it. Because Paul would either quit, that was the first thing, or he would accommodate to them. And the minute he accommodates to them, there goes the right thing. There goes the right way. Right? I mean, they put it flesh and blooded with Paul. Paul's trying to serve Christ. The Corinthians are not happy with Paul. Paul goes, well, hey, if that's the way you're going to be, forget you. I'm just going to go on to these other churches that do love me. Right? He didn't do that. Because he was actually a servant of Christ. He was doing it for Christ. And he wouldn't go, well, all right, if it'll be more acceptable to you, then here's what we'll do. We'll just sort of hide the cross a little bit. We'll emphasize rhetorical wisdom. Will, will that make you satisfied? Will that win your approval? And what he'd do at that point, he'd be walking toward their approval and away from God's, which is a very uh, 
unwise short-term solution. Right? Because what makes them happy today might not make them happy tomorrow. Right? And at some point, there's going to be a tomorrow in which Paul's life would be over and he's going to stand before Jesus. And Jesus is going to go, didn't I call you on the road to Damascus? Didn't I purchase you? Didn't I commission you? Why were you, why were you turning your sails like that? Do what I told you to do. Do the thing that I gave you to do. Right? So it's really essential for us to not only uh, have a kind of ministry that will hear well done and good, good and faithful servant, which will be gold, silver, and precious stones, but also that can be sustained through dry and difficult seasons because not every season of your service for Christ is going to look the same, right? There are going to be times where you're just doing the right thing the right way for the right reason and, and you're trusting God for the fruit that will come later. Right? If you're in it for an immediate payout, you don't understand the, 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 the statements in Scripture that talk about, do not be weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. If everybody reaped right when they wanted to, those statements wouldn't be in there. But Paul says it two times. He understood that there's times in our lives where we just keep doing the right thing and we keep doing it the right way and we keep asking God to give us the right heart about it because we're going to trust Him, because we're serving Him. right? And that's, that's what Peter, I think, is talking about. So look at verses 10 and 11 of 1 Peter chapter 4. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What I would suggest that this scripture helps us see is that the, the very center of our stewardship and our service is God. That's, that's uh, if I could put this sort of the orienting centerpiece, is God. Because what we have to serve God with comes from him. Right? It comes from him. It's to him that we'll give an account of ourselves. It's actually by him that we can do it. And it is for him that we do it. Right? God, God is everything about this. All right? So let me just let me sort of just walk us through this and, and unpack it. It's from him. Notice in the verse at the beginning of verse 10, as each one has received a special gift. So uh, it's implied in this text that there's a giver. We know from other texts of scripture who the giver is. Right? It's it's God. And I think we could 
say it's the triune God based on what we saw in 1 Corinthians 12 in the fall because the Father, Son, and Spirit are all involved in it, I think we, we would probably be right in sort of narrowing it to it's the work of Jesus Christ that he's doing on behalf of the Father and doing through the Spirit. And I say that because of Ephesians chapter 4, that when Christ ascended, he gave gifts to men. Right? And he did that for the building up of the church. So it's, it's the work of Christ accomplished by the Spirit because of the promise given from the Father to the Son. The book of Acts talks about the ministry of the Spirit is the promise of the Father to the Son, which then the Son pours out on the church. So all of that, I mean, we, we could, we could, I mean, we really should marvel at the wonderful triune majesty of that. But my point is simply to establish the fact that if you have something to serve God with, it is not, its origin is not of you. It's from God. He's the one who has given you the giftedness that you have to serve. So it clearly establishes him as the dominant frame within which we should see all of this. God is doing something for his son through the Spirit by what he entrusted into your life. So it's, it's about him. Right? And, and I think it's important for us to remember this, right? Your gifts are not given for your benefit. They're given for the glory of God being accomplished in the good to his people. The gifts are for the common good. They're for the building up. It says, employ it in serving one another, right? That's the responsibility of it. Um, you know, and, and, uh, it, it, it requires a reorientation of us, right? So, cause it's, it's very possible for us to use our gifts to make a name for ourselves. Or because we like the applause that comes from it. Or we want the pat on the back. Or we want the recognition. We want, we want to feel good about ourselves by what people say. Right? There's lots of ways possibly that our pride could, could raise its head in the midst of our service. That pride might be the kind we'd look at as arrogance, but it also could be the kind of pride that shows itself in insecurity. Right? Cause, I mean, I say to guys, cause I teach preaching, right? You, you, the last thing you should be thinking about when you stand in the pulpit is yourself. And, and if your thoughts are about yourself, it's, it means you haven't really focused on the text very well. Because if I really care what you think about my sermon, right, and what you think about me as a preacher, then my whole focus is off, right? Because it's really not about that. It's actually about God has given me a gift that is supposed to be used for him to your benefit, right? And, the, and, and that has to be the issue. 
right? It has to be focused. And that's true, that's true at every level in every corner of service for Christ in our congregation. That, that it's something God has given you to use for him. And, and he has to be the dominant concern of your life. You've received this from the Lord and your responsibility, look at verse 10, is to employ it in serving one another. Right? It is for the task of service. It's to, it's to be used for the other. That is one another. You're serving. All right. So the Spirit provides these gifts. The congregation affirms them. And, and I think that's probably the simplest way to go forward. I mean, because you know, people love to go, so what's my gift? How am I going to find my gift? Here's my, my simple instruction is this, right? Be actively serving Christ. Be attentive to where there are needs. And be available when somebody asks you to do something. Right? Instead of you taking a, you know, an, uh, a spiritualized temperament analysis test that says, oh, I'm a prophet or I'm this, is actually start to get active ministering to people, be attentive to where there are needs that you might be able to meet, and be available when the Spirit might be working through someone else in the body to enlist you into service. Right? I mean, because we, we can sometimes sit there and going, well, you know, there's nothing for me ever to do. And I, and I, when I hear that, I'm, I'm trying to be care, careful because this is where I could get like sarcastic, but that, that's just crazy. See, what, what that means is no one gave me a position, not there were no needs to serve, Right? There's never anything for me to do is thinking I need to be recruited and have somebody hand me a job and a task, which I'm pretty, I, 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 I would be pretty sure nobody reading the New Testament would have ever thought, or when the New Testament was being written, right? I don't think at, at Ephesus they'd have been sitting around going, okay, does everybody have a job? Where's the org chart? You know, do we have everybody in a position? Does everyone have a, a description? I don't think the church of Corinth would have thought that way or Philippi would have thought that way. I don't think any church in the New Testament would have been thinking like that because that is a distinctively modern development that we would think having a ministry means having a position. Right? What we'd be thinking if we were in the New Testament is, God's given me something to use to serve other people. Where do they need to be served? Where, where does somebody need grace? Where does someone need help? Where does some, something need to be done? And people walking in the Spirit would have eyes to see that and a burden to do that. They wouldn't, be, they wouldn't be waiting for somebody to recruit them, right? Because you got recruited when you came to Christ. 
You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he ordained beforehand that you should walk in. There, there was your recruitment. When Jesus said, you're mine, I'm putting you in my body, he also made you a part of the body. You have been recruited, right? We all have something that God wants us to do for him, and we need to move toward it because we want to be good stewards. That's the accountability we talked about this morning. So look at verse 11 now, and actually the activity of this ministry. I don't want to hit it too hard, but I think there is, uh, and, and many recognize, if not most, that this sort of falls into two categories of gifts, speaking and serving gifts. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as the one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that is, there's, there's gifting that has to do with people who are teachers, who are speaking the truth, who are proclaiming it. And then there are other gifts like helps and mercy and hospitality that might be viewed as ways in which we're ministering to the body by meeting needs in that way. Uh, I don't think we should ever pit them against each other as if Peter's doing a hard break here, because what is every Christian supposed to do based on Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15? Speak the truth in love, right? So you can't go, hey, my job, I'm just going to do like mercy and never open my lips, right? Because we're supposed to exhort and encourage one another. While it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, But that's not quite the same as someone who's in a position where they are standing up on behalf of God to communicate his word to the body. Because that's what verse 11 is talking about. If anyone speaks, let him do so as the very utterances of God. That word utterances there is a very strong word that's used with a close connection to the the very words of God. John prayed this morning, or this evening, he quoted from Hebrews where it talks about the word of God being living and active. In Hebrews 5 and 12, the word is described as the utterances or oracles of God. The law in Acts chapter 7 is described as the oracle of God given to Moses. In Numbers, a guy who, who isn't like your good role model, but Balaam is described as the, his words were the oracle of him who hears the words of God. So, so what this text is saying is that those of us who have a gift for the teaching, instruction, proclamation of word, when we speak it, we are to do so as if it is the very oracle or utterances of God himself. There there should be that kind of a mindset about it, which I think immediately closes in on two things. That clearly means the content of whatever a teacher in our assembly teaches better be the Word of God. right? Because if you stand up to exercise a gift of speaking, you're responsible to speak God's truth to people. Right, so, so that's a serious charge. It should be as the utterances of God Himself. Right? The content has to be clearly from the Word. And 
correspond to the word. And, and I think that's really important, you know, and I, this is the kind of thing, uh, you know, I mean, obviously I've been preaching for a, a long time now, uh, but I, I think back sometimes when I started preaching, like as a college student, sometimes you heard a good story, a good illustration, and now you just needed to find a text that would work with it, right? Because when, when, you know, and I think it's probably unique to training and ministerial stuff like that, but, but, you know, we tend to hold up people who are dynamic, popular preachers. And, and unfortunately in our culture, those tend to be people who tell stories, are funny, have, have all kinds of charisma. Right. And sometimes that becomes the standard. But what this text would be saying, and I'm not saying you should be boring. Right, but but here's the thing: is the 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 content of what you say is the thing that's most important. Then you should try to say it in a way that that is interesting and persuasive. Right, but but and I'm probably not a good person to use this kind of an illustration. Right, my wife. I mean, I like to eat food. My wife likes food that looks nice. Right, presentation is important, and so you know, I mean, I'm colorblind too, so I could care less what it looks like. It's just like I, I, I sort of know what the green stuff is. Keep that out, right? But but the reality of it is, sometimes what can happen, right? I, I personally feel like I'm, I've gone to fancy restaurants and I'm thinking like, did somebody spill a steak on my plate? Because it's like you know. The reality of it is sometimes what can happen is people can get so caught up on presentation and trying to make their message so attractive and want to be a popular speaker that you know what suffers is God's word. Right? Because it essentially gets squeezed out. And, and sometimes the statement in the prophets about there being a famine in the land a famine of the hearing of the word of God is too true. And it's partly not just the hearer's fault. Sometimes it's partly the speaker's fault. Because they filled the plate with garnish and left out the meat. Right? So if you have a responsibility in our church to teach God's word, when you stand up, you should be giving them God's word. I don't care if it's to a four-year-old or to a 94-year-old. The thing we're giving is God's word, right? Hopefully you'd recognize the difference between a four-year-old and a 94-year-old. But the content is the word of God. That's what has to be given. That's the gift. God didn't give us a gift to draw attention to ourselves or tell cool stories or share a million statistics about stuff. It's so that we could teach the word of God. And it's, I think as well, not just the content, but when you see the speak as the utterances of God, I think it intensifies the, intensifies the convictions of our speaking. Right? The, the reality of it is that we should be so into God's word to study it 
that when we come out of it to teach it, then we have real conviction about it and confidence in it. I mean, this is God's word, right? That's, that's what a speaker ought to be saying, right? And I know people can be obnoxious at times and, and you know, just let's assume that you're not, we're not, we're here. It's our church family. So we've got a no jerk rule. All right, but here's the difference, right? If, if I'm going to, to sell you something, I'm going to, I could put a bunch of stuff on the plate and say, hey, here's the best option, this option, this option, but your choice, you can take it. Take whatever you want. Here's the buffet of options. I can't do that with God's word. I actually can't stand before people and say, if you would like to accept what God has to say, then accept it. We actually are saying, this is God's word. This is his word. The only right response to that is to say, yes, Lord to bend the knee before it, right? And that, again, is, is so out of step with our culture where people have, have now become, I mean, we're almost like we, we have a built-in uh, force field that has across the top of it. Well, that's just your opinion, right? Because authority... Authority is the worst thing that can happen. To stand up and say, hey, here's what God says about this. Right? Is viewed as pride in our day. But it's because, I mean, years ago, Chesterton said this, that we modern man has, has twisted things, right? Modesty, that is humility, is supposed to be on the organ of ambition. We're supposed to be modest about ourselves. But we've actually moved it from the organ of ambition to the organ of conviction. And so we're modest about the truth instead of about ourselves. Right? So, so I should be humble. God's word is never, never supposed to bow before anything. Everything is supposed to bow before it. Right? And, and, and if we teach, there's got to be that kind of conviction in our heart, that kind of confidence. If we're going to speak the truth to each other, we have to really believe the truth. Right? We have to think it is actually God's word. It's not just one of the options. Well, you know, maybe, maybe not. It is the word of God, and we need to believe it and, and, and stand on it. Notice the service gift here in verse 11. It says, do so, the, the one, whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So the exercise of the service gifts are to be done in, in, in the power of God. Right? And, and there's a certain, uh, there's a certain mystery to this because, because um, the fact is you could do the same thing in your own strength, right? I mean, it's, it's possible for you uh, to, you know, 
to make a meal and deliver it to somebody in an act of kindness or to show mercy or hospitality and to do it without any thought about God's power working through you. Or you could do it like this text talks about, which I think is, is suggesting an attitude of faith. Because, I mean, look at the wording of the text. Whoever serves is to do so, notice, as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. That is, it's the way in which you do it is, I want to do this as one who's serving by the strength of God. So, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to do with a sort of deliberate and conscious dependence for God to take this activity and make it powerfully effective in someone's life. I don't know if this is a good illustration or not, right? But, but think about it like this. I'm just trying to get an image in your head, right? When Elijah is at Mount Carmel, he builds an altar, but he can't bring the fire, right? He could get everything ready. He could get it all prepared. He could dig out the trench. He could do all that stuff. But there comes a moment where he has to cry out to God to send the fire. Right? And here's the, I think the point that Peter would be saying is, are you looking to God to send the fire? Are you doing this as one who's doing it in the strength of God? I need God to do this. God, I need you to take the simple act of hospitality and use it to be a channel of grace into that person's life, to help them experience the love of Christ through the love that I show them. I mean, that's what hospitality is, right? You're doing it because you want them to be aware of how much God loves them by taking one part of his body and showing that love to another part. So the only way they're going to actually have that kind of impact on them is if God does that. You can't change their heart. You can't can't flip open their head and flip the switch and have them experience the reality that the God of heaven has just ministered to them through you. That's something God's going to have to do. You can't do that in your own strength. right? And if you are, you're not doing it any different than, and I'll say this carefully, right? But there's, you know, there's lots of unsafe people who take meals to people. There's lots of unsafe people that visit people in the hospital. There's lots of unsafe people that go to funeral homes. There's lots of unsafe people that do kind things to other people. Just doing what normal humans do is not actually the exercise of a spiritual gift. The exercise of a spiritual gift is something where the Spirit of God is taking what you're doing and he is accomplishing something in the heart of the person that you're serving. You're employing it in serving one another. It's actually Christ working through you. Look at at verse 11. I'm going to 
I'm going to jump ahead just to try and drive this point home. Notice the end of the verse, right? Why do we speak? Why do we serve this way? So that in all things, God may be glorified, right? So there's the purpose, and that's why I'm saying it's God-centered. I mean, I, when I, I hope this is the true of my heart as much as I know it. When I stand up to preach the Word of God, I, I want God to be honored in it. I mean, I teach, and I've said this for years, right? In my mind, it's like, it's like, uh, so, so this morning, first Corinthians four, it's like the apostle Paul sitting right there. And, and I, I would like to hear Paul say, Hey, Dave, you told them exactly what I said. Good job. Cause you know who told Paul to say that? God. Right? So, so the big assessment of my sermon this morning was, did I say what God said? Because I'm supposed to preach the word, right? It's, I'm just telling you what God already said. And so my heart has to be set on, all right, I want God to be glorified. But here's the mystery. Or if, or if I do something of service, right? I want God to be glorified. But here's the dynamic spiritual mystery of it. Notice those next words. So that God, so that in all things God may be glorified. What's the next three words? What are the next three words? Through Jesus Christ. Whoa, hey, oh, time out. I preached this morning. Why is it so God to be glorified through you? You serve somebody. Why doesn't it say so God in all things will be glorified through you? You know why it is? When I'm doing it, when you're doing it, if we're exercising our gifts, we're exercising our gifts as a part of what? The body of Jesus Christ. So it's actually Jesus Christ working through the speaker. Jesus Christ working through the servant. Right? Because here's, here's the way I think the scripture would do it. Right? Here's, here's Dave Dorn preaching. Behind him is Jesus saying, like in John 10, 16, other sheep have I, which are not of this fold, them must I also bring, and they will hear my voice. Where are they going to hear the voice of Jesus Christ? They're going to hear the voice of Jesus Christ through the part of Christ's body that is speaking the truth. It's going to be Jesus speaking through the speaker to call his sheep to himself, right? Christ is at work in and through his people, right? When, when hands serve Christ, they, I'm just going to use the language of Matthew, right? When a cup of cold water is given in his name, who's doing that? It's Jesus. Jesus is accomplishing it. It's his work that's happening through this, right? It is, in fact, why the scriptures talk about that. Rome, Acts 15 and verse 12, Paul says, what God did through us. Romans 15, Paul says, I will boast of nothing except for what Christ has accomplished through us. 
in 1 Corinthians 12, 5. It is varieties of ministries from the Lord. Right? So it's, it's God actually working through Christ to do these things. Do we see ourselves as the conduit, the channel through which Christ is building up his church? Right? When you stand there and teach those four-year-olds the word of God, do you have as your heart, perhaps today, Jesus, will call one of these little children to be his sheep. When you teach some group in our church and you open up God's word as the very utterances of God, are you doing so hoping that the God who speaks through his word will take the word that you're teaching today and communicate his power through that word to strengthen them to stabilize and sanctify them. Do you, do you approach it that way? Or do you just like, you know, I'm, it's like I'm teaching them history or I'm teaching them some other. Just, you know, I'm going to get the facts. I'm going to get it all right and I'll just communicate it. Or do we see something dynamic, spiritually dynamic happening when you show the love of Christ in some form of service to minister to the body, are you doing so with a heart that wants to see God take that and use that to be effective in their lives? To make a difference in them, really to see them helped by God through what you're doing. I mean, that's the difference between the body of Christ and just human volunteerism. That's the difference between the body of Christ and a society of speech givers. We're dealing with spiritual realities that are aimed at the glory of God, require the active living work of the Lord through it, so that God will be glorified in it. Do we see ourselves as instruments in the hands of the risen Lord. It changes the way you think, right? It changes the way you look at what's going on. It changes the way you cry out to God because you're not sufficient for this. That's what Paul said. We are not sufficient in ourselves, but because of the ministry of the Spirit, We have been made sufficient. You can be used by God to accomplish eternal good in people's lives. He can use you to display his glory. And that ought to be the driving ambition of our lives. Let's pray together. Lord, please help us as we head out into a new year. And think about the stewardship that has been entrusted to us. Lord, you, you've given us much. And as your word says, to whom much is given, much will be required. Lord, help us not to squander it. Help us not to set it aside and neglect it. Help us to make the most of the opportunities that you have given to us, knowing that, that the day is short. The window of service is open now 
And may we run the race in a way that brings glory to you. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.